Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone. This is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli. And today I have a Brains in Toyland segment for you about great play skills and building great playrooms so children meet really great developmental potentials. We call these segments Brains in Toyland because that is what kids are. Uh, Children learn through play by interacting with toys. And um, I wanted to talk to you today about why these early experiences, these early play experiences are really so important. You might not realize it, but when you were um, a child, when you were a toddler and romping around in the mud in a pond in your neighbor's backyard, that you were actually doing some of the most important work of your life. So what might have seemed to be pointless and um, an innocence, were really, you were really engaged in something very critical that sets the foundation for what you're able to do in your adulthood. So I think of things that I used to do as a child, like catching fireflies and putting them in margarine tubs and painting seashells or making tents in the living room out of bed sheets. These are all things that helped me and that helped kids do radically different things down the road um, and radically different things that are higher level skills things like reading and writing and doing math and, and even things like organizing our closets and, and making sense of a, a grocery list. But what, what's even maybe more surprising to people is that um, some of these very seemingly simple things that infants do, like just turning around to see who was talking or picking up their their peas on their dinner plate or even holding a ball in their hands are some of the skills that they need to do to communicate and do other higher level intellectual skills. So any skill that we acquire, any skill that we develop comes out of earlier precursor abilities and Many of these precursor abilities, these pre-skills, don't resemble or don't look like that end mastered skill. And this is important for caregivers to know, uh, that is, it's important for caregivers to know what these sub-skills are so that they can foster them well and in their children and act early if they're not seeing these sub-skills. So to give you an example, many of you are probably not surprised to think that we need to say a single word before we can say a sentence, and we have to be able to say sentences before we can have a conversation. What I find is less obvious and that many people don't realize is that before we can even say a single word, babies or we need to do something unrelated to verbal speech, seemingly so, like just make eye contact. Um, and see where the sound is coming from, from a speaker, or if they hear another sound in the environment, such as a door slamming or something dropping, that these skills are, um, meaning making eye contact and looking for the sound source, are things babies need to do 
in order to eventually be able to talk. And reading, writing, walking, planning, organization, and a lot of many other skills have similar pre precursor skills that don't immediately resemble those later, more developed skills. And of course, it's important to point out that children need to hit these milestones for these sub-skills so they can advance successfully. So one of the goals of, of this talk is to help you understand what you're seeing in your children as they develop and um, so you can foster good growth. And, and it helps to have a theoretical approach as you're looking at things. So I'm going to talk a little lightly about some theories that help explain and predict behavior in a meaningful way. And it helps give us a logical base from which we can act as we interact with, with our kids. So there are a number of theories um, that we look at. And the ones I'm going to talk about are, are the behavioral and cognitive theories. Um, and uh, we're going to adjust them here, but not, not too crazily, so don't worry. Um, there's there's uh, two general types of theories um, that are maturational um, that talk about uh, children having, or people, humans, having a predetermined biological timetable. These fall under the ecological theories, too, that suggest that there are critical or sensitive periods uh, for people or for children to acquire certain types of behaviors. And in language, that's, uh, I'm a speech language pathologist, so that's where my focus is. And we, we see this in language, that if children don't acquire language skills by a certain point, they lose the ability to really acquire it as well as a normal child might. Um, so I guess that's just stressing how important these early childhood experiences are. Then the other theories in terms um, that, that we look at a lot in our field, we look at Skinner's theory of operant conditioning, essentially saying that children um, can control and operate and maneuver their environment. And what his work showed was that learning basically works by breaking down a big event or a big activity into smaller steps. And, and we see when we do this, we can help children learn. And there's another theory um, of Albert Bandera who talks about social learning and essentially says that children learn by observing people in their environment and by imitating them. You may have heard of Piaget's cognitive development theory or Vygotsky's sociocultural theory, which essentially suggests that children learn by being active participants. And Vygotsky has another concept called the zone of proximal development, which essentially is the area between what a child can do by themselves and what they can do with assistance from an adult. So it's, 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 it's a nice area within to work so you can give your kids some activities that might be a little difficult for them. And maybe with some prompting and structure from you, they can learn and, and increase and move to that next level. So these are good principles to keep in mind as we're interacting with our children and, and as we help create an environment for them that optimizes their developmental potential. So again, that's thinking that there's some predetermined biological, critical, sensitive period um, indicating that early childhood is really important and having the right types of experiences um, are going to set a foundation for later learning. 
and thinking about breaking down big events into smaller steps to help children progress, remembering that they often learn by observation and imitation, and being active participants in the learning process, and um, that zone of proximal development um, of doing activities with them that might be a little bit harder than they can do on their own, but with input and feedback and structure from you, they'll learn and continue to grow nicely. So as we're interacting with our children, I think it's important to keep in mind the, all the areas of human development so we can make sure they're all being stimu stimulated and um, catered to. And we call them areas of mutual influence because they affect and influence one another. And these areas include physical development, intellectual development, social-emotional development, emotional development, and moral development. And progress in one of these areas is going to lead to progress in others. And similarly, if you have a delay or a deficit in one of these areas, it can lead to deficits and delays in the others. So let's first start talking a little bit more about what physical development is. And essentially what it regards is the growth of, of the body structure, growth, you know, heads getting bigger, legs getting longer, muscles getting stronger, and, and things of that nature. It also regards functions. Um, so even things like learning how to chew, learning to walk, and starting to talk, those are all physical activities. And physical development can be further subdivided into sensory skills and motor skills. So first I'll talk about sensory skills. And these include responses such as touch, so if you're basically feeling something that's contacting your skin. There's vestibular, which is your sense of balance or sense of movement and where your body is in space. There's proprioception, which is knowing where, essentially knowing where body parts are relative to one another. So for example, I'm sitting in a chair right now and I can tell that my legs are, are beneath me. Um, that's my sense of, my, my sense of proprioception is letting me know that. Other sensory skills we have are the senses um, of auditory perception, so what we're hearing, and then visual perception of what we can see. And then we have motor skills, and that other subdivision of physical development. And the motor skills could be further subdivided into fine motor skills. And, and the fine motor skills are these small, controlled, precise physical movements, something like writing, being able to scan your eyes across a text or across a visual field, and even, even speech production. The speech production is very, very fine motor movements. And then aside from fine motor movements, we have gross motor abilities that um, are the other um, motor subdivision, and these are the larger physical movements such as running and jumping. The second area of human development I mentioned was intellectual development, and this regards an, in, an increasing understanding and an ability to manage one's environment. So intellectual development can also be subdivided, and we can think of it as maybe nonverbal and verbal cognitive skills or intellectual skills. And when we talk about nonverbal cognitive skills, we're thinking about mental processes that are involved in understanding knowledge and acquiring knowledge. And you may have heard of executive functioning skills. Um, these are very big lately. Um, and we're talking about nonverbal skills that help us attend to information, to organize, to plan, to remember, and to manage information in general. 
And this pairs with verbal uh, cognition, and, and verbal development and verbal cognition really regards language. And language is a symbol system that we use to communicate our wants and ideas. And there's lots of different aspects of language, but um, there's sounds, there's gestures, we have written language. And I have another section in here that talks more about that, so I'm not going to go into too much detail here. But language is essentially, as I said, a symbol system that helps us communicate wants and ideas. And it's, it's inextricably linked with these nonverbal cognitive processes I mentioned, and, and they, they operate together. So this brings us to the third area of mutual development that we call social-emotional development. And this essentially regards a child's growing knowledge of of um, how to interact socially with others. They're an increasing ability to interact socially with, with others in their environment. Then we have the fourth area, which is emotional development, which regards an increasing ability to understand your, your own feelings and ways of expressing those feelings in an appropriate way. And then there's the fifth area, which is moral development. And this regards essentially our conscience and a growing understanding of what what is right and what is wrong, and then our ability to change and modify our behavior as might be appropriate. So as I mentioned earlier, these five areas all influence one another for the good or for the bad, depending. So let's say we have a little boy, a little boy named Liam, and his brain is getting bigger and he's learning concepts and vocabulary, like for example, uh, this round, soft, bouncy thing called a ball, which is involving his nonverbal and verbal cognitive skills. And then as he's growing, his muscles grow, and he's able to control them better. And eventually, he's going to learn that this, what the use of the ball is and what its different properties and functions are. And eventually, those physical skills will develop where he's able to physically produce the word ball. So that's a little bit of physical development there with some of the verbal development. And then he might see a ball and say the word ball. And then mom or dad might respond to him and hand the ball to him um, or comment on his, his ability to say the word. So then he starts to learn that when he says something, people in his environment are going to respond to him. So that's part of how the social emotional development are are, are included here. And then it could be the fact that this successful communication that Liam has is going to help him feel satisfied and feel maybe valued um, as a participant in, in the social structure. And again, that's adding to the emotional development part of the equation. And so Liam eventually may learn that you respond by saying thank you or smiling once mom or dad give him the ball. And he'll learn that the way you satisfy your wants and needs maybe is by asking politely or saying thank you. And that brings in part of the moral development. So that's just an example of how all of these five areas of development influence each other in a positive way. Now I'll give you an example of a scenario you might see if the systems are not working as well as they should. So that is, if there's a delay or disorder somewhere, you might see a problem cascade into the other areas. So let's say we have little Lily, and maybe her brain isn't developing on par and her systems aren't developing on par with other children her age. So perhaps this might affect how she understands concepts and words in her environment um, and her ability to label them so that there is her nonverbal and verbal cognitive um, areas. 
then maybe with this decreased vocabulary, she might not have as much practice articulating the words, so she might not be as intelligible or understandable. So maybe people can't understand the words she's saying. And this is part of her physical development where she can't physically produce the sounds that well. This might result in less successful communication um, interactions with other people, with her siblings, with her friends, with her family members. So maybe when Lily sees a ball, she might make an attempt to just grab it from her friend or grab it from her sibling because she hasn't had the practice of using her words to satisfy those wants and needs. So here we're also then bringing in the social-emotional developmental aspect of it. And it could be that this less effective communication might make her feel frustrated and maybe she gets scolded by her parents or teachers or shunned by playmates because she communicates by just grabbing because she doesn't have the words to ask for it. And maybe she'll feel dejected and feel sad and so that brings in emotional development. And perhaps her ability to perceive the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things is a little bit different. So Lily might believe that it's okay to hit her brother if he's playing with a toy that she wants because she might not have developed the skill set to make a better decision or maybe a more acceptable decision. And here we see how um, moral development comes into play as well. So just to wrap up what I've talked about so far, our little takeaways for, for the chapter that I've gone through, so to speak. Um, we, want, we remember that children need to be active participants in their learning process, and children learn well when there's a reasonable amount of challenge, or that is they're working in that zone of proximal development. It's not too hard, not too easy, just a little bit harder than they can do on their own, and you help them um, with some cueing to, to work through it. And we want to take a big task and break it down into smaller steps that they can digest and manage and then give them more and more over time. And we want to remember that children learn by observing others in their environment and imitating them. And we should remember, too, that skills um, are developed along a predictable timetable that have to begin at the right times. And so these early experiences are really important, so we make sure that they are on time and how they develop. And then finally, that there are the five areas of mutual development that include physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral development, and they all need to be fostered in concert for optimal growth in our kids. So for optimal development, I think a really great playroom or play space at home is important. And now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how you can set up an ideal or a really great home play space. So again, uh, to be a child so free of responsibilities, you know, and free of toil or so we thought, you know, as I'd mentioned before, this is really an important time. It's a really, they're really working. Uh, they're really working. So I think, I like to think of the home play space as the home office for kids. So as I mentioned earlier, all those silly things or seemingly empty things children do, like squishing mashed potatoes in their, between their fingers or just dumping out the contents of their soup bowls or walking around the house just carrying mommy's purse, um, these are things that actually uh, help us develop um, essentially high, well, I'm sorry, develop higher skills like reading and speaking and writing and doing math, um, organizing our social calendar, all those events lead up into those higher skills. So parents are sometimes surprised to learn that many of these adult, skin, adult skills develop 
at birth or even earlier. So I've, I've mentioned in other talks how speech and language development really begin in that third trimester of fetal development. Uh, they're hearing sounds and responding um, to them even. So these, what I had mentioned before, these might, might seem as seemingly pointless behaviors are these precursor steps that lead into adult skills. We can't run until we learn to walk. Uh, that's an obvious sequence, the running to the walk, but many parents don't realize that um, we also can't talk as newborns until we've learned to respond or smile to a caregiver's voice or look to see where sound is coming from. And so I'm going to talk to you about the playroom and related activities so we can help develop these precursor skills. So how do we do this? How do we create a play space so it best fosters our children's development? Let's first look at identifying what we're fostering so we can select items um, and even activities intelligently to best nurture development. Now, uh, when I think of the play space, I mostly uh, think first and foremost about physical and int intellectual development, and that's going to be what overrides the playroom design I talk with you, but those other areas of development, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, are still going to grow out of this. So you rem remembered I spoke earlier about physical development, which regards the structural and functional growth, muscles getting bigger and stronger and uh, being more coordinated, uh, legs and arms, et cetera, getting longer, your head getting bigger. So we had, I mentioned that physical development includes sensory and motor skills. Uh, the sensory processing, actually, I think it's one of the, the most overlooked areas in child development. And um, future episodes, I'm going to have a number of occupational therapists on to talk about that. Um, and this, an occupational therapist is really the expert in sensory processing. And we'll have some great advice for you in those upcoming segments. But just quickly here, or just a quick review again, is that uh, sensory domains include the sense of touch, vestibular senses, that the balance and movement and body and space, and proprioception, so the sense of your body, how your body is positioned, and auditory perception and visual perception. Then we also, you'll remember, we divide motor skills into those fine motor abilities and those gross motor abilities. So those fine motor abilities may include writing and speaking, and gross motor activities, of course, would include um, abilities such as running, climbing, and jumping. Then we have intellectual development, you'll recall, includes the verbal and nonverbal functioning. The nonverbal cognitive skills regard things like attention and memory and uh, visual spatial skills and um, verbal uh, skills regard uh, essentially language, be it spoken or written or gestures, it's those symbols we use to communicate. So, all right, so those, those are the, the basics from which we're going to build the playroom. I, I, I like to take those um, um, concepts and divide the playroom into four areas. I like to see a play area that has an area, for, an area for literacy, an area for fine motor sensory activities, an area for gross motor sensory activities, and then an area for dramatic play. So let's start with the literacy area. As I mentioned, all the areas can influence all those five general areas of human development, but the literacy area I see as especially relevant for developing language and other cognitive skills. 
So I like to see the this reading area, this literacy area, stocked with lots of age-appropriate books that have a real diverse variety of themes. Um, and the physical space, too, is important to consider. I, If you're able to do it, of course, if you can't, um, I like to see these physically separated into different areas. So if you can, have your literacy area defined perhaps with a carpet and bookshelves. I think what this also provides for kids is nice organizational skills and helps them categorize and, um, things in their environment. I think it's important to have a nice, comfortable chair for them. Um, you, like You likely, when you go to read a book or relax, want to select a nice, cozy chair or get on your couch with a blanket. And that's because when you're comfortable, you can focus. And we really want our kids to focus well when they're, when they're playing and they're doing these things so they can learn. And this is especially important, I think, in an age of stimulus overload. We have talking toys, noisy toys, TVs on all the time. So I think it's important for um, us to have a literacy area that could be calm and comfortable. What I also like about the literacy area is that what you have there, the books you have, could either be the basis for future projects or follow-up activities for projects that you do, be it an art project, a trip, um, narrative retelling, where you can um, say you might read a story about a farm and then go to a farm, or, or alternatively, you can go to a farm and then read a story about it after. Either way, um, Having that redundancy is nice, and it just shows a way that liter the literacy area can connect to other areas that we'll talk about. So the next area in the play um, space we'll talk about is the fine motor or se and sensory area. And this is especially relevant for enhancing sensory skills and fine motor processing skills, as the name suggests. So for this section, I, I I like to look at manipulative, so things that you're using your um, you're you're using your hands to you to play with, things like lacing boards or puzzles and blocks or different types of assembly toys could be really great here. I think in this area too, um, a sub-center could be an arts and crafts center, and I really think arts and crafts is a must for children in their development. Art is a great medium for so many things, for communication skills, for cognitive skills. There's so many things that you can learn just with vocabulary and how to organize information and steps leading to a product. It's, it's really, really wonderful, uh, the things you can do. And in time, we'll have more episodes that are dedicated just to art and just to sensory. Um, and so speaking of that, some other sensory things I like in this area might be like a water table or a sand or rice table um, where kids can dump and fill and get their hands dirty or um, experiment with, uh, with all kinds of different um, shapes and sizes and textures. Um, also things that could be in this area, I love Play-Doh. I love things of different textures, so even shaving cream or um, like pudding, things, things that the kids can put their fingers in and swirl them around. It's all really nice, and I, part of what I like about it also is that it's, it can be nice and calming, and I think, uh, I think that's something to consider for our kids too, that, um, something soothing and calming for them.
Well, next area we have is the gross motor area, and this is especially good for fostering sensory and gross motor skills, as the name would suggest. So there are a lot of indoor gross motor tasks that we could do um, in the colder months uh, or for people who live in apartments or smaller settings, and some of these might be um, indoor hopscotch mats or parachutes small rocking or rolling toys, um, maybe indoor basketball or indoor bowling could be great, beanbag tosses. These are all nice things where children need to be standing or moving and shifting their balance. But there's all kinds of great things to get kids moving about in a, in a great, uh, using those big muscle movements. Some other things I like for indoor gross motor are those, there's some uh, tunnels that they can go through, there's um, maybe indoor trampolines. There really is a wide, wide variety and we'll have future episodes where we bring in physical therapists and other types of um, professionals who do work with physical development, maybe gymnastics, etc., who can talk about great activities to do at home. So now we come to the fourth area of the play, um, the play space. And this is the dramatic play area. And it's especially helpful for developing verbal and nonverbal cognitive skills. And again, like the other um, areas, social, emotional, moral, and emotional areas can be acted out here as well. Um, so what I like to think about when I think about the dramatic play is the types of toys either being realistic or representational. So realistic toys are those toys that look like and are sized fairly like the actual object. And great realistic toys could include a toy kitchen set, dress-up clothes, make a lawnmower perhaps, or cleaning materials, or um, um, a workbench, and things of that nature. But again, they look realistic. They, they look similar and are sized child size like but for a child uh, like the actual object and these are particularly good for younger children who are still developing abstract thought so that they might not really realize that their plastic mobile phone really can't actually call grandma um, so it's 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 a nice developmental um, it's at a nice developmental point for them those realistic toys then the other toys we can think about are representational. And these are smaller and more symbolic of the real items. And these are especially good for children who are a little bit older. And these are meant to represent or stand for the actual items. And things of this nature might include a dollhouse or a, um, a little farm and action figures. Those all fall into the representational toy category. And again, like with the other developmental areas, we'll have experts in, in play development um, in to talk about activities you can do. And we'll even look to get people who, have, um, who know a lot about toys and toy products that can talk to you about things that will be great for this area as well. Now, um, we've talked about the four areas. And those, again, are the literacy, is the literacy area, the fine motor sensory area, the gross motor sensory area, and dramatic play. So there's one more big thing I want everybody to consider as they're developing their play space for their kids, and that's the furniture. Um, I think it's really important to have child-sized tables and chairs. 
Ideally, when children are learning and working, it's good to have their feet on the ground. If your feet are dangling, your attention could be spent on keeping yourself balanced in that chair, and that could potentially optimize or compromise optimal learning. So we, I'd like those feet on the ground so they can focus all their attention on learning that new concept, learning how to say that word, thinking about um, what they're going to have their dolls doing, and again, not balancing and shaking around in that chair, because that is gonna that's going to distract them and take some of their attention and energy. So that's why I like child size um, tables and chairs. Um, what else? Um, child size or accessible shelving is really important too. Um, storage, adequate storage is really important. I think um, it's who wants to clean up? It's always a pain. So the easier um, we have the space organized and the easier access they have to shelving and putting things away, that's going to decrease cleanup time. It's going to possibly decrease decrease cleanup time battles you may have, and really help to foster organizational skills in, in your kids. I know for me, sometimes the toys and the boxes that things come in don't always fit back in very easily. I sometimes toss that and we'll take a bigger plastic container and label it with a picture or, the na or even cut part of the box and tape it to it so children can identify it. But any way that I think you can organize the playroom to help them navigate it and keep it clean and organized is helpful. Again, I mentioned earlier, I feel like the play space, the playroom, is the home office for your kids. You might think your home office is, I would imagine, you have your pens and pencils in one place, you have your printer paper in another place, that you probably have it well organized, and that helps you use the space and get things done. That's how I like to look at the play space for your children. Having it organized by category will help them too. Um, and again, there's really no one right way to design your playroom, and it's not even necessarily um, it's not even necessary that they be super discreet in one literal room. But you do want to be as organized as you can. Uh, there is overlap. Uh, for example, we know that if your child is playing at dress-up time in the dramatic play area and he's, he's buttoning up his cowboy outfit, that's using his fine motor skills. What we, we really want to look for, I guess, overall is organization and balance. We want balance so that all the developmental areas are fostered well. And of course, we want to make sure that our children enjoy these spaces and that we select things that they enjoy, because um, even though we know they're really working, <laughs> we, we need them to have fun too, so they're motivated and they're engaged and they keep playing and learning. So what I might suggest in terms of your home play space is that you do a little assessment. Um, and if you want, I have on my website, which is www.myspeechdoctor.com, so that's myspeechdoctor.com, I have a Playroom Go Room page on that website, and I will post my home play space assessment that I use and share with families when I do workshops. And what you can do is, is just simply, there are little checklists or spaces where you can write information to see um, what toys you have in these different areas, what toys you have in the literacy area, the dramatic play area, the fine motor and gross motor um, areas. And you can look at your toys and look and see, um, are, they, are they stimulating language or cognition? Are they stimulating um, sensory development, fine or gross motor development? Those are things you can track there. 
And then if you want to do it by the sections, you know, looking in the literacy area, you know, do you have bookshelves and rugs or comfy seating and in the dramatic play area, is there a kitchen area and a workbench area or maybe a storefront or, you know, do you have a dress-up chest with, with costumes? Is, you know, do you have shelving and baskets and, and cubbies? Um, and maybe in the fine motor area, do you have a rice table or water table? Do you have containers with tops or baskets? Is there a, a working table where the kids can sit um, with good-sized seating um, and, Similarly, um, things in the gross motor um, area, do you have um, different activities for the kids that will have them move or jump and climb and things of that nature? So I will have that on my website. Again, that's myspeechdoctor.com, and I'll have it on the Playroom Go, oh, excuse me, Playroom Grow Room page. And um, I think that's all I have to say for today. Um, so again, just wrapping up, this is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. Um, I thank you for listening. And again, if you have questions, too, that you'd like us to answer on the air, you can email info at kidsatoz.com. That's info at kidsatoz.com. And we will try to answer your questions and get experts that we can bring in for some questions and answers. And that is that. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.